And I truly believe that the best things in life, absolutely everything that's really good in life that I've achieved is everything's been out of my comfort zone. So the big question is this, how investors like us who wouldn't pull in the silver spoon, successfully investing in property to create a passive income and still have a lifestyle now? That is the question this podcast will give you the answers. I'm George Markoski and welcome to the Positive Property Show. Our mission is to empower 10,000 people to create financial freedom through property using the Markoski method. Join us. Okay, hello and welcome to the Positive Property Podcast. I've got an international guest here. I'm very excited to introduce Mitch Miller. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, he was actually had a heart attack when he was 21. He was a failed rock star. He was homeless at one stage. He started nine businesses and failed, but changed his mindset and became successful. And he's a copywriter and marketing strategist, well-renowned around the world. He does events and He's got a people all around the world that he works with. He's written five books. And um, hello, Mitch. Welcome to the program. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate you inviting me. Now, what an uh, amazing journey you've had. You know, I've seen this little diagram when you've got, you know, a straight line, you know, from the beginning to success. And then you've got this squiggly line, what it really looks like. And it looks like a yeah. squiggly line. <laughs> Felt like it, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy, man. Um, it, it, it was a long time to sort myself out. And I don't think many people need as long as it took me to kind of sort my stuff out. But I was coming from a place of knowing nothing. I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about marketing. Um, I knew nothing about even being a, a decent person. All I cared about was playing guitar, hitting on, hitting on chicks, uh, doing drugs, and just basically goofing off. And it was a long road to figure this business game out. It's like, because business, investing, marketing, it's, it's not, those skills don't come natural to us. They're very counterintuitive. Yep. So it sounds like you've done a lot of personal growth along this journey. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that's, that's number one, primarily number one. I mean, people will ask me, what's, what's the fastest way for me to get, uh, to become successful in business, I'll say the fastest way is to work on yourself. Self-help, man. It's mm -hmm. all up here. Yep, I, I agree. I think um, in any area of your life, working inside makes the biggest changes. You want to change the outside world, you've got to change the inside world first. Yeah, true. Totally, totally. And um, you had a heart attack when you were 21. What, what, <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, so we were... We were in a we were in a band and we were we were getting on the radio and there, there was there's quite a bit of success happening on the on the actual music side. Um, it ended up all imploding and crumbling away, but there was, I mean, I, I lived for the night. I didn't care about the next day. I didn't care about anything. It was pretty selfish. It was it was not a good thing. Uh, although I have crazy fun memories, um, I don't I, I don't feel good in general about uh, the way that I lived and. I gave my parents so much grief and things like this and people who tried to look after me, but uh, I just wanted to be that degenerate rock star, man. That was fun for me. And so one night there was a, it was a party. It was a house party and I had just done too many drugs at the same time. I had the cocaine oh. and ecstasy and the, the 
marijuana and beer and the cigarettes and you name it. And it was just way too much. It was just this crazy cocktail of doing so much that night. And I was also dancing and being silly. And I ended up bringing two girls into the bed at the same time. And so all of that mixed together, uh, paired with not drinking water, um, just caused a heart attack. Well, that was a Lucky someone found you or brought you to the hospital or something. I brought myself to the hospital. Actually, I was complaining wow. of my, my heart hurting, my chest hurting, and uh, called, the, called the, the hospital helpline. I was like, my chest is hurting. I don't know what I should do. And the nurse says, what the hell are you talking to me for? Get your ass down to the hospital. Wow. So wow. I, had my, I had my friend drive me there, and then he drove me, and it felt like an elephant was stepping on my rib cage. It felt wow. like the front of my rib cage and the back of them were the bones were touching. And, uh, so I was rolling around in the car and then when we got to the hospital, uh, we couldn't find the emergency, um, entrance. So we just kind of parked and then we got out and we were just walking through the hospital together trying to find the uh, emergency. So it was quite the situation. Wow. It's almost like a TV, something on TV you see on TV. And, um, then you went to hospital and you had the heart, where, where did you actually have the heart attack? What location? That was in Canada, in Edmonton, Canada. No, no, it's in, at the party, in the car, in the hospital. Oh, okay. So it was actually, um, so it was actually the next night. So after that, after that party, I woke uh, that whole next day. My chest hurt, and I, I, I chalked it up to like too, smoking too much something, and it was just pain. And that's what I thought it was. And then the next night, it just it just grew and it grew and it grew, and it just became so unbearable. And that was that was when it was actually it turned into a heart attack, so to speak. The rest the rest of it was like a pre heart attack. It was like the, they call it angina. It's a it's a pain when the the blood flow is uh, low. Yep. So wow. So you went through a heart attack. Were you in hospital at the time? Yeah. I was in the hospital for only three days. Um, yeah. So, was, so you had the heart attack at hospital, which would have probably been a safer place than at home. Yeah. So I, I believe the heart attack happened on, uh, at, from the moment that I, cause the, see, most people understand heart attacks is like this, this thing where it goes oh, and then you pass out or something, but it's not really, it's not really like that in most cases. Strokes are like that, but heart attacks in most cases are kind of a, a some people have heart attacks and don't even know they had one. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, so it was kind of a process that was happening over a period of time. And then, and then it, 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 it reached its crescendo, so to speak, when I was in the hospital. And uh, I remember I heard them say, find out who his family is uh, because he's not going to make it. And I was like, wow. oh, God damn. And I, and I could barely even process that. I was in and out of consciousness. And wow. when, I came, when I came to, the doctor had said, man, you, you have no idea how lucky you are. We almost lost you. And then... Uh, and then, but then I got a bunch of tests done and there was no permanent damage. They don't quite even know how it really happened. There was no blockage or anything. And so they, 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 they sent me on my way three days later after watching me for a few days. You were homeless at one stage, which would have been an interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, luckily, luckily it wasn't for too long. Was, was that, was that in Canada, USA or where was that? That was in Canada as well. That was 2008. So it's not even, not even too long ago. Um, and that was the last year that I decided that I was going to, that I wasn't going to stand for, stand for it anymore. And that I was really going to start to believe in myself and make my dreams come true. I was homeless for only about a week. And that was 
self-inflicted. Um, I could have reached out to my parents at any time and, you know, tuck my tail between my legs and had them pick me up, drive, you know, drive down and pick me up, but I refused to. And I ended up, you know, sleeping in the park and I didn't have any money for food, but I, well, I, had, I had enough money to buy a bag of rice, but I didn't have a fucking place to cook it. So uh, I would steal uh, ketchup packets from McDonald's and then I would I would have the tea, uh, spoons, <laughs> classic spoons full of dry rice with ketchup on them as, as for dinner. Wow, amazing. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So when did you decide, okay, forget this, I really want to become successful or I want to change my life or had, what, what happened? How did your identity change? Because I'd imagine it was a mindset shift, identity shift. Did you have to come out of your comfort zone? What happened? The, the the truth is, is is there are multiple ones and i and i wish it was one that like changed everything that make the story more irresistible maybe but there was there was there was a bunch of different ones it was it was me all me after the heart attack i decided i wanted to become successful i had no idea where to start or what to do i found tony robbins and that was that was a that was a godsend man because he he turned me on to a whole bunch of people like because he had this interview series. And, man, he'd interview a whole bunch of cool people. He'd interview uh, Wayne Dyer, interview Deepak Chopra. Chopra. He'd interview all these people that I had no clue existed. It opened up a whole new world for me. Um, but the problem is when you kind of get into this world of self-help, you realize how fucked up you are. <laughs> uh-huh. And you, you really realize that. And then you really realize that the gap between who you want to be and who you are, you think – we delusionally think we're right there. We're like, we always believe we're millionaires tomorrow. Right. Um, but the truth is the gap is so large. And when you realize that you're like, God damn. And so there's been many mindset shifts and many periods throughout my life and many moments where I said, this is it no more. And then it was like three months later, it was the same damn thing. And then you'd be more, even more fed up. And so it accumulates and, and, and you realize that, you know, barring actual disability, some people have mental disabilities of, 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 you know, on a scale from extreme to maybe a mild forgetfulness or just maybe a lower IQ. That's, that's real. There's a certain percentage of the population that actually have an IQ of under 80 and they can't even, I think it's 10% of the population have an IQ of under 80 and you're not even allowed in the, in the military. With an yes, IQ, I, I heard that. I heard about that because even in the military, under eighty, you can't really be helpful anywhere at all. That's right. That's right. And I mean, unfortunately, I suppose that's part of the homeless reason as well, because a lot of people in that scale find it hard to navigate things. Like here in Australia, we've got Social Security, and there shouldn't be any homeless people at all. However, we still do have some homeless people because their IQs not big enough for them to help themselves, which is a shame. And that's why we need to sort of not just throw money at people. We need to help people be able to be more self-sufficient. But that would be very challenging. You're right. Absolutely. They do need help. And the, it, it, it's real. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's not everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And uh, I'm a firm believer of no matter who you are within reason, you know, if you're, if you have a disability, if you are part of that 10% who have a super low IQ, it's like, I'll, I'll give you some room, but like, if you're, if you're an average person, if you're an, if you're, if you think you're not an above, above average person, if you're a regular person, you can hear these words, you're trying to become better. You're not a dumbass. You can hold a job. Maybe you have a business or whatever. It's like, there's no fucking excuse for you now. You're all just playing games in your own heads. And I played games with my head for forever. And so my point is that over time, all these, I would keep screwing up and I would keep, and I realize I'm just, I'm playing to, I'm, 
playing too small, I'm playing too small, or I'm, I'm doing it to myself here, doing it to myself there. And every time I would screw up or I'd fail a business or I would have a grand plan and then I would either wouldn't do it or I would screw it up, it, it added to the fuel. Because for some people, they're like, oh man, it make them even more depressed and self-loathing. And then eventually they just do nothing and they give up and they just settle. For me, it added fuel to the fire. It got me even more mad, more determined, more, more, more wanting to figure it out. So I would get angry and I would scream at the top of my lugs instead of crying. It's like, no, I'm going to fucking make this happen. So there was no one moment where it happened, but it was refusing to give up. And then every bad thing that happened, I used it as like, it's almost like every bad thing that happened, it was like, it was like somebody whispering, you can't do it. And I'm like, oh, I'll fucking show you. And so I used that as fuel instead of, uh, there's a perfect example, uh, George. There was a, I was with my friend when we were like, 20 years old. And I, and I was like, we we're at the mall and I was like, Oh man, I want to go to the high end fashion store to see. And he's like, why? He's like, we don't have the money to go there. We can't buy anything there. I was like, exactly. Let's go look and get inspired. Well, you go in there and you look at all the expensive stuff there. And I'm like, wow, looking at the Hugo boss suit at the time, Armani suit. I'm like, man, I would love to have that suit one day. And you see it, he would be depressed in there and I'm getting juiced up. Yep. Same yep. fucking store. What's the difference? It's like, it's how you choose to look at it. So, Absolutely. And I think um, starting out, those sort of things can and can motivate people. I know when I first started out, I used to actually write little posty notes and write, you're a winner, you're great at sales. Mm -hmm. And I used to have, um, I, did, I did this old crappy car and I had a picture of a Honda Prelude on my, on my thing. And, um, and I really nice. wanted I wanted the Hugo Boss suit too, funny enough. <laughs> I, I wanted one, but they were too expensive. Like they were too grand at the time. The yeah. And I was like, you buy a car for that. And I actually uh, kept saying, I want one. And the company I worked for had a sales competition. And I was new, but I won and got this Hugo Boss suit. And it was so cool. It was amazing. And it really nice. And then it's your only one. And then that begins to feel weird because you're like, you feel like the imposter with the one suit. <laughs> Yeah, but the funny thing is once you get success, then you look back and materialistic things aren't really that important anyway. But when That's you're right. starting out, they're actually quite motivating. That's the interesting thing because I remember when I first started, I'd look at you know the Rolex, the nice cars, BMW, Porsche, and nice suits and all that nice stuff, and that really motivated the shit out of me. And mm. since I've become successful, I can't – that would not – doesn't do anything for me at all. It's funny, just completely opposite. It's almost polarizing. It's weird how that's happened. Mm, it's true. It's like they're they're like symbols to keep you going. But yeah. but you, you but when you get there, you realize it's about the character of the person you became, and those material things are cool little bonuses, but they don't they're not a driving force. Exactly, and I think um, people. Part, people's identity is the important part when it comes to success because what happens is people say to themselves, I am such and such a person and they say it to themselves over and over. They brainwash themselves and it's almost like an excuse not to be successful. Like a, a, for example, um, I'll use a different situation. I know this guy who's single, right? And um, he hasn't really gone out to meet any girls. And I've told him, I said, look, if you want to meet girls, you need to start and practice and fail over and over again if you want to get there. 
because I've, I've set him up with a few girls and he failed miserably. He goes, ah, oh, look, uh, nah, I'm not really good at that stuff. And he uses that excuse and sort of you, um, doesn't, want to, doesn't want to actually prove that he's not good at it. So makes, right, it wasn't fuel. It was it made him depressed. Yeah. So what he does, he makes excuses to maintain his identity and goes, "Oh well, I can't because of this. I can't because of that," and makes all the excuses. But really, he can't because of his mindset. He doesn't believe that he can. And he doesn't want to prove that he can. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, when it comes to um, investing, are the same. They'd love to be a property investor, but they say, "Well, I can't be a property investor. I work in a factory. You know what I mean? Or I've got a nine to five job. Or I'm, you know, I didn't have rich parents or anything else like that." But Let's face it, it's all bullshit excuses, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All of it. It's all completely excuses. It doesn't matter how much time you don't have. Yes, exactly. Or how much money you don't have or if you've got rich parents or not. I mean, I didn't have rich parents. Um, you know, I, I, my, parent, I, my family struggled to make ends meet. I grew up with a family of four. My parents are migrants. I didn't actually even understand English when I went to primary school. And that actually was cool for me because I knew, I could tell from a young age that I was poorer than everyone else. And that really made me want to become successful. So for some people, it does push you. And I think maybe that's what it did. Because a lot of people go, George, your parents must be really good at business. But no, they've got no idea at business. They came to this country and just worked really hard. But um, I sort of thought to myself, I don't want to be like that. I really want to become successful. It really pushed me to become that way mm. because of that. So, um, mm. But I think getting out of your comfort zone is very difficult for people. It's probably one of the hardest things in the world. And you've got to get something to pull you or push you there somehow. You know what I mean? Obviously, you were pushed there. You explain how all these setbacks were sort of fuel for you pushing out of your comfort zone, correct? Yeah, like I learned early on in my studies from finding Tony Robbins and then he, he pushed me to check out Richard Bandler, who is the who started uh, neuro-linguistic programming with um, John Grinder. And yep. one, of the, one of the key um, concepts that Tony and Richard and, and these guys talked about was reframing. And that is the ability to take a situation and how you see it and flip it to mean something else. And when you flip it to mean something else, you're literally changing the focus and that changes your mood, changes everything about you. So when, you know, I would always... That's why the thing, everything was fuel, everything was motivated because no matter what happened that was bad, I said, ah, this is, I've now learned something and this is a, re and this is even more reason to not put up with it next time and to be more power. Now I'm more powerful than I was. And so it's always, always just t turning focus, turning focus. So, so, so let's say I wanted to start a business and then it failed on me. Like maybe people listening here maybe want to invest in a property and maybe they lose money on their first deal. It's always possible. And that's, that's probably the number one fear that stops people from pulling the trigger for the first time. And we could talk about that in a second, but I feel like, you know, it's, I like to do, I like to use contrast. And so if I fail a business, um, I'll reframe it and say, Hey, now I know more than I did. And this next time I'll be able to do better. I'm not dead right? Yeah. Like it could be worse. And what I'll do is I'll contrast. I'll say it could be worse. Like I, I could not even have the idea to start a business and I could be forever without even realizing it stuck in a life of just being an employee and something and someone I don't even want to be. And it's almost, 
the ignorance would not be bliss. It would be pure hell and I would have no idea how to get out. So the fact that I'm even trying to start a business and the fact that I'm even trying to improve myself is super important. And you know what? And I'll contrast myself. I'll look for examples. I'll go online and see, I'll, I'll type in epic failures in business. And then you get to read like people who are super successful now, guys who started Hershey or Mattel or, or, or Toyota or Honda. The, the story of Honda is crazy. It's That's like, a great story you, about that. Absolutely. Yeah, dude, it's insane. Like he had his he had uh, he had his, his factory bombed, and then earthquake took it out twice. He had to start from scratch three times, and and using, so um, in, uh, old shells of uh, bombs and using materials to make motorbikes. That's right, he did, and he used what he, he used the scraps and used what he had. And so I look at these guys. I'm like, well, it could be worse, man. It's like you know, I I had my stupid little business fail. It's like I barely lost any money. It's like this guy had his factory, you know, bomb three times or something. And so I'll use that contrast with myself. Even if I'm trying to lose weight, I'm feeling a bit of hunger. A hunger. I'll be like, I'm feeling a bit of hungry. It's like, no, I'm not hungry. The kids in fucking Africa are hungry. I ain't hungry. I'm just being a little bitch. And I use the contrast on myself. And so that really helps. And it's really, it's really, it's really important because even somebody who wants to start investing in, in property, but maybe they're afraid to, it's almost like they see the, the investment, the first investment as like this big, huge thing. And, and it is objectively, but it's also people are so ingrained to believe that uh, their house or a property is their biggest investment they'll ever make in their life, which is true on if you were, if you were that average person for which yep. you would buy one house and then die in it and give it to your kids. But yep. as property investors, we need to eradicate that unconscious thinking because the truth is, is that it's not a big purchase. It's not the biggest purchase we're ever going to make. It's one of many. It's nothing. It's just, a, it's just something that we got to do. It's like not a big deal. Absolutely. I totally agree. The thing is, um, there's two ways of learning when it comes to investing in business, everything else like that. One thing, you can be a pioneer and you can always tell the pioneers, they're the ones with the arrows in their back lying face down in the dirt. And that's a good way. I mean, when I started in business, I was a pioneer. And when I started investing too, I've made all the mistakes and every mistake's a new way of going forward. Or you can actually you know what, you know what uh, Tony Robbins says, find someone successful and model what they did and miss out all the bullshit stuff. And that way you'll get this much quicker. And that's a lot safe way of doing a lot of things, including business and anything yes. you think of. I really, we're very fortunate at the moment because of the internet and we can actually connect with people that are really good at top of their game at any niche you can think of. And you can mm. actually model what they do and save yourself like, for example, let's say someone wanted to do copywriting and marketing, right? Now, to learn copywriting, there's millions of courses out there. And there's lots you can do. And just learn from scratch. You could, you could do copywriting for the next 20 years. You're not going to be great. You really need to find someone really good, like yourself, and follow your rules. Because you've learned these rules over years. And you've had success. Like, it's not easy. I've seen some of your copywriting. It's amazing. It's really good. You've got a great talent at it. You know? Thank you. And I don't think someone could actually learn that on their own. They need to learn from someone. Like, you probably learned from someone as well. You didn't learn this on your own. No, I didn't learn on my own. And the learning curve is too steep to, to try to piece it together yourself. And that's why people who are considering working with you, it's they're smart because not only have you 
have you figured it out so you could help them avoid all these pitfalls and, and cut the learning curve back as much as humanly as possible. But then also you've created systems for doing so. And so there's a, there's a double whammy of, of value because it's like you have the system that they can trust in, but then you have you you can trust in. And so the only piece left, if they're not pulling the trigger, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, if they, if they, if they trust in the system, they trust in you. It's like, do they trust in themselves? That's the big question. Exactly. And that's all about identity, isn't it? Because belief and it's identity a, are sort of mixed together, aren't yeah. they? It's belief in its identity. It's, it's, it's a trust that like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And maybe this may not, maybe I, I may not have it all figured out. And, and the first deal is not going to be super smooth, but you know what? I trust myself enough to figure it out that I'll find a way. And so there's a trust that you have to do is like, you may not like a faith in yourself. And, and it's hard to teach that obviously. But one secret that I've found is that that faith in yourself or that trust in yourself or that confidence in yourself is not it is it's it's you can get it anytime you want because like the idea of confidence mm -hmm. i was like okay what the hell is it <laughs> and I, I so i feel like if we don't define it we can't know and you can't get more of it if we can't define it so yeah. how do you define it i'm very curious here yeah so the way i would define it and you know who knows if i'm right but it is useful and it works so whether it's the way or not it is a way that works is it's a feeling it's a state. It's a mood. Yep. Um, and you, you know, you can, you can trigger it with music. You can, you can, and my, but my point is that you can trigger it on command through different ways. And so, you know, you, you know, just as well as I do, I, I, George, I know you work out a lot. If, if you are working out and you start thinking about some, uh, some, some, maybe something in your personal life's not good or, or a, something in business is not right and you start thinking about that stuff too much when you're working out you lose all your energy to do reps and shit oh look that sometimes working out can help you get rid of that negative energy but yeah can you know what I mean? uh, but you I, but if you don't catch it you could feel it like yourself almost wanting to end I, the workout i i think working out with a positive attitude and energy makes a big difference totally I agree. Yes. Absolutely. And so it depends on what you focus on. It depends on how much energy you have. And so I believe confidence is a feeling and you can have it and you can, you can, you can bring it on to yourself and you can, it's a feeling and a mood that you can put yourself in. And that's really empowering to know, um, especially so the more you can condition yourself to, to feel that, um, knowing that it's a feeling and knowing that all feelings can be, controlled, so to speak, uh, within reason, you know, if someone close to you dies, um, you don't need to control your feelings. You're allowed to fucking feel any way you want. Right. It's like, it's, but, but, but my point is you should, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to make a big investment, if you're going to learn to do something and take on a skill that you don't know, uh, that you've never done before, you better learn how to control your emotions and you are 100% in control of them and you can, and confidence is an emotion and it's, you're not, it's not your identity, right? It's like you, like the point you were trying to make earlier, George, which I think is brilliant is like people put this stuff under identity. I am not a confident person. It's like bullshit. You're just not being confident. Some people say I'm fat. No, you're not. Nobody is ever fat. You're just being, you're, just fat. being, you're being fat. You're yeah. engaging in fat behaviors. And when you think of it like this, if you're like, I'm shy. No, you're not. You're just acting shy. And if they can understand that, that creates a gap between their identity and the behavior. And that's what allows them to make those big changes for real. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, recently I've been asked to go on a few national TV programs and get interviewed about property. And the first time 
I was actually had a few butterflies. I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be a little bit scary. Live TV, you know, you got no practice, no nothing. And but like most things, when you have fear of something, it's false expectations appearing real. The worst case scenario in your brain almost never happens. And I find that um, every time I play bigger or do something out of my comfort zone, whenever I look back, I think to myself, why the hell was I even thinking that? Why? Like, it's a lot easier, a hundred times easier than I thought it was. You know, like even going to national television, <laughs> easy as anything, you sit there and talk. I mean, it's nothing. But before yeah. <laughs> you up, or even when I was, you know, when I was single and when I wanted to approach girls, at first I had a bit of fear, but I broke through that fear and just approached girls and talked to them because what's the worst thing they can do? You have a nice conversation. I mean, no one's going to punch you in the face or anything, you know. It's crazy how... Yeah, like that type of stuff doesn't happen. Fear. And it's the reframing you're talking about. It's like if you're, if you're, if when you feel the butter, like you said butterflies are going to show, that's a great way to, to frame it. Even on, even it's way better than saying I was scared or I'm nervous. The butterflies is a, it's a, it's a way of softening up the language. So it's not as extreme. And, and, and it's like going on a roller coaster. You can say I'm nervous. You can say I'm scared to go on this roller coaster. or I'm excited. The fucking emotion is the same. And so it's the same with you going on TV, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's your choice. Yep. Butterflies is a good word. Yeah. So languaging is so important because especially like you were saying before, if um, you're on a diet, you don't want to say, shit, I'm starving. You want to say, maybe I'm slightly picky, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which works better. Because I actually, I do restricted eating at the moment. So I've trained. Me on, too. So I eat probably about three hours a day. That's it. And um, Okay. I'm, I have a one hour window. I'm on a 23, wow. 23 wow. and one. See, I... It ain't much different than three hours, bro. There ain't much difference there. Pretty close, pretty close. I do three hours so I can fit in dessert because my stomach shrunk so much that I can't eat dessert and a meal at the same time. So that's the only reason. But um, the one-hour window, you know, I respect you, but that's awesome. And the funny thing is, once you get used to it, it's not that hard, is it? No, no, it's it's super normal. It, at first, it was the first week was like deadly but now it's it's not it's not even a thing i think about too much i do get hungry at that point but it's not that big of a deal and i used to say i'm hungry but now i say and if i feel the feeling of hunger i say "Ooh, i'm losing fat yes that's fantastic focus when i first started um, intermittent fasting i first started just doing one day a week where i didn't eat for 24 hours and that was so challenging and now just about <laughs> day, I've got the three hour anywhere between one hour to four hours and when I'm on holidays, like I was in Sydney recently, I had lunch and dinner and I extended the time, but I usually do, you know, the three hour window and I think um, saves you so much time and energy, doesn't it? You don't have to worry about mm. food and anything like that. I mean, I still have coffee and tea. I don't know about you on your 23 hours. Absolutely. I have coffee, uh, black coffee and yep. water. Yeah. Which is great. And the 23 hours, one of the good part about that is the one hour window is you really reduce your mTOR. And mTOR is one of the keys to longevity, reducing it. And the only thing that's proven to increase longevity is fasting. Ah, I didn't know that about the mTOR. Yeah. I, yes, the so reason I did the 23, honestly, is simply because I wanted to limit my damage to an hour so I could stay in a deficit and still eat whatever I want. Now I get more healthy about it. But yep. at first, it was a real concern because of my addiction to food. Yeah, yeah. I love food too. And that's why I've got a restricted eating. But you know what? You enjoy it more when you only have one hour or two hours to eat it. That's exactly it. The and meal is so damn good. And when you're eating, you can't causing a lot of damage. 
because eating is good for you. And this is a whole other topic, but the reason eating is bad for you is because it's good for you. But we'll talk about this another time because <laughs> um, I've gone this for. Right. I've, I've been um, researching food, longevity, and all that sort of stuff for a long time. And I've got a new theory, which is pretty amazing. And basically, it goes whatever's good for you is bad for you because it's good for you. And whatever's bad for you is good for you because it's bad for you within reason. <laughs> and I'll, I'm going to explain it on another podcast. I think fear holds people back. I think it's the biggest thing because people going mm. out of their comfort, people going out of their comfort zone find it very, very difficult. And I truly believe that the best things in life, absolutely everything that's really good in life that I've achieved is everything's been out of my comfort zone. There's nothing good that's happened inside my comfort zone. But now it's inside my comfort zone because my comfort zone keeps growing. And every time I hit a barrier to my comfort zone, I'm finding I've got another area that I need to go up in. And I find when you get out of your comfort zone, only good things happen in your life because you, you can't get more than what you've got unless you become more than what you are. That's what Jim Rohn says. And I agree with him. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. all about self-development. And part of that is going out of that comfort zone. And how do you get people, how do you help people do that? Because people are stuck. And the problem with fear is people that watch TV, because I don't, I, don't, I don't watch TV. Funny enough, the programs I've been interviewed on, I've never seen before. I've only been on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so right. like, oh, wow, today's show, I've never seen it. What is it? Who's on there? They go, what? You don't know Carl and Georgie? I go, that's funny. Really? I do now, but <laughs> I guess there's content creators. and. Content well, that's almost better because, you know, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's almost better there. because you get less nervous. You're not yeah, built up. Exactly. So, and I think people that watch a lot of news and TV have got more fear than the average person. And that is, that's the average person has got a lot of fear these days. How do we get people out of that? How do we get out of fear? How do we get, you know, what's the first little step to get out of your comfort zone and become a better person or, you know, get more out of your life? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways and they kind of work together and you kind of chip away at all of them. So um, the, fe the fear thing is interesting um, because a lot of times we don't realize what's actually causing the fear. So it's okay to be fearful. Like it's okay to have the fear. It's like that's, that's natural. Like the, what we don't want to do is eradicate the fear and you don't want to try and get rid of it before it comes up because that's just not going to happen. Um, because an analogy would be like trying to remove fear before you take action is like trying to uh, remove the water before you swim. It's like, there's no point. It's, it's just part of it. Um, but, but the way that I think about it is, is a lot of people don't realize that what, what drives the fear, what keeps it going. Like for example, there is usually a tone of voice or there's uh, in your head or there's certain words you're saying that start, that's, that keeps you getting freaked out. <laughs> there's, um, there's pictures in your mind, there's different movies and there's, there's, a, there's a process going on that if you, and there, you're physically, you're, you're, maybe your breathing is becoming more shallow. Maybe you're, um, 
crunching up into like a, you know, a fetal position, like even it's your shoulders and you don't, and you're getting scared and you're thinking about, well, just thinking about having to do something. Maybe you're thinking about having to put an offer on a fucking home uh, and you're like, all of a sudden you just get scared. Well, there's certain things that are happening and you, you want to do is at the moment you get scared. That's when you want to be like, okay, what is you want? You want to kind of analyze yourself when in that moment you're getting scared, you're like, okay, you're thinking putting, putting an offer on a home. It's like, okay, shit, I just got scared. It's like, well, hold on. Let me think about this for a sec. What happened when I get scared? Oh, I'm breathing shallow. Oh shit. My, my shoulders went in like this. Oh, I'm think I, I'm talking to myself in this tone of voice. Oh, how about if I just relax? How about if I breathe deeper? How if I, how about if I change the tone of voice to, to the, to a more calm, chill tone of voice? Oh, and you can literally reverse the, the fear by analyzing the different pieces of it. All right, and then uh, change the submodalities. I've chucked a bit of NLP language. Correct, correct. Unfortunately, yeah, you got it. may not understand that, but um, like if you've got a dark picture, brighten it up, and that will reduce the fear. Because a fearful picture is usually dark and small and grainy, black and white. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of things you see in your head. When you're when you get fearful about thinking shit, I got to put an offer on this house. All of a sudden, you have your your mom's voice nagging in the back of your head. You're you're never gonna amount to nothing. It's like you got you take a second to analyze and see see it what's there. And it's, and if she is there, then you know then just make sure you you know you 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 make her make her face black and white and you shrink it and throw it out of your head. People think this stuff's kind of weird, but it's not weird. It's like we think to ourselves in pictures, movies, tones of voice. Um, and, and all, that's, all, that's how we think we talk to ourselves. Yeah. Now I actually got one really good way of getting rid of fear that I would like to share. And, um, mm. a lot of times your physiology can change your state. And I used to do a lot of public speaking. I still do. And when I first started public speaking in front of big audiences, I'd be behind the curtain going, Oh shit, I've got a big audience. What am I going to do? And I'd, um, sort of have a power anchor and I'd get up and I'd act confident and march and look, look up and breathe deep. And I'd find that change my body language and changing my body language, change my state and get rid of the fear and turn the fear into excitement almost like it changes <clears throat> because you can't, it's hard to be negative when you're standing up and you're walking and you're looking upwards and you're smiling. You know, if you try smiling and looking up and having fear, it's going to be difficult. You can't do it. Yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to. It's the same, like you said, the same with the, it's like with the posture and stuff. If you have a confident posture and you hold that, it's almost impossible to stay unconfident. It's like, it's our, our body, our physiology and our emotions are absolutely fucking connected. I mean, what, how did you come to What did you do? Uh, that's a very, very tough one because... On one hand, it's like you can trick yourself with like, you know, the reframing we talked about earlier or contrasting. You can contrast yourself and say, you know, like one way I do it is like, if I don't do this now, then what makes me think I'm going to do it next time? And if I don't do it next time, it's going to be a habit. Maybe it already is. And if it is, then all the dreams that I have and all the, the person I dream of being that will, it's almost guaranteed to never happen. And if that happens, if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to, it's, it's barely going to be worth living. It's like, and, and, and I paint that picture of, of what, of all that's going to happen just because, because the truth is if you want, if you want to get out of your comfort zone, 
it's ta- it's a, it's really what we're talking about is creating a new habit. So if, if you if you if you don't work out and you want to work out now, it's like working out today for the first time in a while or whatever is like that's you need to get out of your comfort zone to do that because you don't want to. Your comfort zone is you know chilling with your coffee or sitting in bed or whatever. And, comfort zone exactly totally. Yeah, and you don't want to do it, and it's like, but it's like, let's say you've decided to work out four days a week and that's you've decided and now you you're on you're on, you did four days and now you took your three days off and now it's you you didn't you did the you did the, the fifth day now and now comes time for your second day of your second week out of the four and it's like and then you're like oh, I don't want to I don't want to it's not comfortable now it's like I've already done a week I'm starting to feel run down like I don't want to do it it's like that comfort zone it's like because whatever this is the way I think about comfort zone Whatever excuse that you used not to do something you said you were going to do, uh, whatever set of bullshit excuses that was good enough for you on that day, if you allow that to, to happen, then you will find every other time. And that is just way too risky. And, you'll, and the habit will never be able to, you'll never, so, so you got to be careful with the excuse. So like, anyway, so my point is that that's, the contrasting and the reframing is one way, yep. but as far as comfort zone goes, like, you gotta, this is the part I don't know if you can teach, like you, the hunger. It's like, that's why immigrants, man, they, they, they come in and they kick everyone's ass. It's like, cause there's like a meta level comfort zone going on there where it's like, they come, but you know what I mean? Also for them to make it to your country, they had to really, really, that's not easy to do. So you're right. That's why they kick ass. You're right. Absolutely. The thing is, um, it's I like they're out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I suppose, um, the way I see it is you've got two lives. In the second life, you start living when you realize you only got one. And when I, mm. when I, to get out of my comfort zone, I realized that we're all mortal and one day we're all going to be dead. <laughs> and a lot of things in 10 years' time, you look back, it's no big deal. Who cares? And just do it anyway. Because you normally regret the things you don't do, not the things you do. Oh, in interesting. Damn, that's well put. You look at it's it's just putting that focus regularly. Oh, sorry, your your voice is cutting out. Because I mean, you look at people in a deathbed, and they don't say, "Oh, I wish I was stayed. I stayed in my comfort zone more often. I wish I worked more hours." They all say, (laughs) "I got out of my comfort zone. I wish I was really who I wanted to be." You know what I mean? So it's interesting (laughs) to talk to people in a deathbed. No one wanted to stay in their comfort zone more when they're dying. They wish they got out of it. And that's most people's wish, actually, because a lot of people got conditioned because of family or society to act a certain way. And on their deathbed, they wish they didn't do that their whole life. You said the very important word there is conditioned. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for people to understand. If you want to get out of your comfort zone, you've built a habit of being, you've conditioned yourself to be in your comfort zone. So you're going to, there is no quick fix out. I mean, it's quicker than you think, and it's probably quicker than you deserve, but you have to condition yourself out of it. And part of it is by constantly interviews like this, listening to what George said, like, like going, finding uh, articles where the old people talk about their regrets. Like you got to condition this stuff in by putting it around you constantly, even when it feels futile to do so. You just keep uh, brainwashing yourself with the right stuff, so to speak. Exactly. So when you said about working out, I work out three times a week and what I do, even if I don't feel like it, what I'll do is I'm lucky. I've got a gym at home because I can't be bothered driving to a gym. 
So I've got one in my shed. So what I do is I walk, I put my workout gear, go to the, go to my gym and put some music on, even if I don't plan on working out because I've scheduled that time. While I'm there, I'll lift a few weights. And before you know it, I've had a full on workout because you might as well just do it. It's funny how it always happens anyway. <laughs> but if I didn't to walk in there and get ready for it, it wouldn't have happened. It's crazy. And I think um, I know one guy who's um, a triathlete and he was saying, what you've got to do is you've got to condition yourself, whether it's raining or not, you're going to go run because it's going to rain. Then you're going to use it as an excuse. And what he does is says, I like to run in rain. And when it rains, I'm going to do it because a lot of people don't run when it rains and that stuffs up a lot of their training. Excuses are super dangerous. Use them sparingly because they can become the norm so damn fast. Because once, once you give your brain a little bit of excuse to, to run with or to rationalize with, you'll use it every time. And um, <laughs> scary shit, man. Excuses are crazy, aren't they? That people use so many excuses in their life about a lot of things. And the better you are at sales and the better you are at marketing and persuasion, the better you are at screwing yourself over and convincing yourself with super crazy rationalizations and excuses. So it actually works against you what the better you get. <laughs> yeah. I need to get a big post from my wall. No excuses. That's what I do. Um, I should. I remember um, I had this thing, you know, fortune favors the bold. I had that up on my desk for a while just to get me to just do things out of my comfort zone. And, you know, mm. I mean, for me, when I... So what happened was, um, I'll tell you quickly about my story. I, when I first started investing, I made a lot of mistakes, but then I learned how to invest really well. And I had 10 properties that were making me about $180,000 a year without getting out of bed. And I had two businesses that I was running and I was working seven days a week in these businesses and long hours because I had so much staff, I had to keep an eye on them and I had to keep producing. And I didn't even realize because I was just conditioned to work hard and have businesses, I didn't realize that my, my properties were actually paying for my business. And I was working and stressing for nothing. And then I had this- manager, Oh, wow. Then I had this manager who stole some cookware off me and I got really angry, sacked him in front of everyone. And then I thought, forget this. The marketing company, I go, Belinda, it's yours, you take it. The cookware company, I've finished, it's gone. See you later, everyone. I quit work, went home, and I, suddenly I was 80 hours a week richer and $180,000 a year richer for doing nothing. Changed my whole life. Wow. But getting that mindset, I, and see, the funny thing is, this guy that stole Cooker off me, he did me a massive favor. At the time, I didn't realize. But what a great, I should go shake his hand and say, thank you for stealing from me because it, if it wasn't for him, I could have gone on for another six or 12 months killing myself for nothing. Right? How crazy is that? <laughs> because I was just uh, working. I just, I, I had that habit. I never stopped and thought. And after stopping thinking, that made me think. It was like, wow, what a change. And then the funny thing is, I thought that having, you know, living on the beach, making money without getting out of bed was the ultimate. I really thought that was it. I had a convertible Porsche, I had a house on the beach lots of money coming in. I could do whatever I wanted to do, anything I wanted to do, spend money, travel the whole lot. I actually got bored and lonely because what would happen is I'd ring my friends up. They're all at work. I didn't have any purpose. Each day I was waking up later and it wasn't until I sort of 
I was having a dinner with Tim Ferriss. I don't, you've probably heard of Tim Ferriss. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was lucky. I had dinner with him before he was really famous in Melbourne. And I sort of sat down and we we're talking about the four-hour work week. And um, funny enough, Tim Ferriss, uh, when you first meet him, you know, because he's quite big, as in a lot of people know him, not big as in size, but he's actually quite shy when you first meet him. And quite timid. Okay. And then um, we had a few glasses of wine and then he opened up and when he has a few glasses of wine, he's really, um, he's got so much to talk about. He's so fascinating. He's great. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, look, you know, I've been doing the four hour work. We listen now. I don't do any work at all. And he said, George, you got it all wrong. <laughs> he said, you got it all wrong. He goes, you actually need a passion in life that gets you up early and keeps you up late at night. It's not about working four hours. The four hour work week's all about you do four hours of what you don't want to do, like paperwork and crap but you need to fill your days with a passion project. And he said, look, if you love it, the world needs it, you get paid for it, and you're great at it, that's your passion. And pretty soon that's why I became a real estate coach because I love it, it's great. And I, right. made, I cool. actually have more fun helping people invest now in my business than actually sitting on the beach doing nothing. And people, it would sound crazy, but until you've done it, you don't know. Be like how Jim Carrey's telling everyone, look, being rich is not what it's all it, it's meant to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would do what I do for free, but I'm too smart not to get paid a shitload of money for it. <laughs> but I would. I would anyway. Yeah, so tell me, tell me a bit about what you do. Because, I mean, you're a copywriter and you're a marketing strategist. And I've seen yeah. some of your copy, amazing. And I've got a copy of one of your books. I didn't realize you had five books. I'm going to have to buy the rest of them because I love <laughs> your writing. Your writing's amazing. It's great. I really enjoy it. It's um, very punchy. You don't, you're not politically correct. Put it that way. <laughs> no. Um, I, I love it. You're not, you're not, you're not scared to tell, tell it the way you feel it is and tell it the way it is, which is great. I love that. I think that's super important and, and, and that actually brings me to a, a really important secret about confidence is there's a couple like there's a couple hidden causes of low confidence and even low energy um, which can lead to low confidence by default and so one of them is like okay like seeking telling and acting the truth as you see it is ultimate confidence because you can get your confidence from the truth um, and you know the only reason we tell lies and is fear and then it becomes unconscious and stuff like that and so really a lot of fear comes from not living the truth or not knowing the truth or not finding the truth and that's super important so i speak my truth and it comes off as confidence but a lot of times it's not confidence it's just like i'm speaking the truth as i actually researched it and know it and i'm willing to die for it and it's like it's 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 more it's more than confidence it's like it's just the truth is I see it and there's, and there's power in that. And there's a lot of power in being authentic, isn't it? Yeah. And like searching for that and finding it. And, um, and, 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 you know, there's a, there's a couple other hidden causes of low confidence, like, uh, of low energy even, which is like, there's a, a called persona fatigue. So you're always trying to put on a show or trying to be, not be yourself. Uh, yes, that, 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 would be that so causes. Yes. Yeah. It's tiring, I, man. I, I know people like that. And, Look, I know, this, I know this girl and it, oh, it's crazy. So around certain friends that she thinks are classy, she doesn't swear or smoke and acts all classy. And then around other people, she swears and acts like an idiot. And I said to her, I said, why the hell would you have the two personalities? Like, that is so hard. I mean, 
why don't you just be the best version of yourself everywhere and not worry yeah. about what you think? Because me, me personally, I mean, and that's one thing. When I was going on national television, a lot of people rang me and go, oh, George, are you nervous and everything? What if they throw a curveball? And the thing is, when you're authentic and you really know yourself, you can answer any question. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's just you. Like, all I've got to do is go back to the basics and answer anything. It doesn't matter what they say to me. It's really easy because I, I know it all. It's the truth. And it's not a lot of work. What's hard is if you're making up some bullshit and remembering all that crap. Is <laughs> but being honest and authentic is the easiest. It's the hardest and easiest at the same time. Choosing to be authentic can be hard for people. But um, once you become authentic, it's the easiest way to live your life. And it's the only way. I, I could not imagine living a life of not being authentic. You know, a lot of people, they do a lot of things in public just to show how good they are or whatever and just do a bit of virtual signaling and all stuff like that. And it makes me cringe when people change their personality in front of different people or try it's to... Hell on earth. It's know, hell on earth to live. It would be very hard for them. It, it would really suck. And why would you be fake? Like, that's just crazy. It's hell on earth. And that's, and that's part of what I help people with. I, I, I used to have a bunch of training courses to help people with everything from confidence to copywriting, to marketing, to advertising, to, to writing creatively. And we, we pulled all those off the market. We give some of them away for free now. I don't believe in selling information anymore. And so, like you said, like my, my four hour work week, there's, I don't like cleaning my house. I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't like booking my own appointments. I have, I have a I have housekeepers, I have uh, personal assistants and I have uh, business managers to help with all that type of stuff. So I get to do what I do best. And I like, I, I hold events, I hold um, workshops, I even hold uh, private masterminds with a few people. And I like to go deep on marketing strategy, help people change the way they look at their business, help us implement marketing campaigns and, and, and stuff like that. That's the stuff I get juiced out of and that's the stuff I enjoy and that's what I'm best at. And because that's what I'm best at, I get to remain more confident more of the day, which conditions me to be more confident and it's just a, uh, it just feeds on itself. Are you ever going to come to Australia and do a big, uh, uh, an event here? No, I would love to. I think I need help doing that. I, I know that I do have an audience in, in, in Australia and I know that Australians are hungry to build businesses, to invest, to change, to, to like, they're hungry, man. Super, super hungry. People, people from America or like I'm from Canada, but people in the West, they sleep on Australia, not realizing that, that you guys are super motivated. Yeah, the Australian market is super motivated. Um, here in Adelaide, we might be a small town, but we've got a, a big startup culture, which is massive. And, um, I would love to. I would love to do something. I'd love to do an Australian tour where I come in and I do. I do some sort of um, event in uh, Sydney. Do an event in Melbourne. Do an event in uh, fucking Adelaide. Um, I don't know how. And I would love to go to the Gold Coast because I heard I have to go there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how close. You have I, to go to the Gold Coast. It's pretty cool. That's yeah. our Bridge Vegas up there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Vegas meets Vegas. Miami or something. Yeah, absolutely. The weather there is amazing, and it's a lot of fun. It's great. I, I go there quite often. I really enjoy it. I love all of Australia. Australia is um, a beautiful place. A friend of mine just came back from Canada and he was saying that Canadians are so similar to Australians because I was asking him a bit about it, you know. Very similar. Yeah. Obviously he, so. he loves Canada, you know. Mm. 
Yeah. So I would love to come down to Australia. I, I, I would just need a little bit of help from maybe people in each city to be able to help put something together or something, but I would okay, love okay. to. Well, after this, after this, we'll have a conversation about it because I think maybe part of the startup culture or something like that could be a good avenue for you here mm. because there's a lot of big groups here and those sort of people are hungry for this sort of information. They need something really good. Right. And in an entertaining way, that's not politically correct. Because if there's anything I know about Australians, they, they don't prefer to be politically correct. Are they going to ban you? Because um, you know who you had here, there, there was big protest. They had Milo Yiannopoulos coming to Australia. Oh, yeah. The guy, the guy that owns Penthouse, he actually brought Milo Yiannopoulos here. And <laughs> he, he loves the controversy. And um, I, went to the, I went to the opening party of Penthouse, and um, they brought Gabby Greco. I don't know if you heard of Gabby Greco. She's, um, she was like 20 something and she married this guy, Edelston, this multimillionaire who's about 90 years old. And they, they, mm. they were a real out there couple. It was hilarious. But um, yeah, so when Molly Nopolis came here, there was massive outrage. A lot of people wanted to ban him from being here. You know, it's funny because I mean, I think he's married to a black guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a gay yeah. guy married to a black guy, but he's on the right, and uh, people can't handle that. They, they call him a racist homophobe. Like, you can't call him a racist homophobe. He's into black dudes, and he's gay. Are you crazy? Exactly. I mean, how, how crazy? Exactly. But um, I think, Mitch, you need to do a tour. It's going to be fun. I would love to. Um, there's two places that I've been sleeping on that I need to visit in 2019. One of them is Australia, and the other one is Europe. I haven't been to Europe either, and okay. I, know, I know there's pent-up demand for both of them, so. Awesome, awesome, excellent, excellent. We'll, we'll make it happen. Definitely, I think we should. I think it'll be fun. It'll be excellent. Mm. Um, we're talking about fear, comfort zone, identity, <laughs> identity. That's what I try to get us back on track. Um, yes, so how does someone believe they can be a property investor? What do they need to do? If, I mean, we could, we could give so many little bullshit answers, but the, the true answer is you, you become the five people you fucking hang out with, whether it's five, whether it's three, whether it's one, whether it's a jillion, who fucking knows? But the truth yeah. of, the, of, the, of the advice holds. Um, ch environment, change your damn environment. If you don't know anybody who's a property investor in real life, if you're in a place where there's no clubs and you're not this and that, and all you're doing is, 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 uh, is hanging out on your, on, in your groups and they're trying to learn, but there's no real life support or a world in which um, there are people who think like you, the odds of you succeeding are extremely low. You need to get around people who have, and even if it's not property, even if there's other investors or other entrepreneurs, you need to get around people in your environment who have the same worldview, the worldview of wanting, of making a lot of money is okay for fuck's sakes. The, exactly. the worldview of taking risks is good. You know, investing is awesome. It's like you need to get you, your environment so much matters. And, uh, and, and you need, and, and so if you change your environment and put it around the worldview of people who think like this, then, and go to events and, and, and put yourself in, then you will, you, that's the cheat code, man. That's great. And Mitch, um, that's part of the reason I created the free group on Facebook called the Positive Property Club. And what I found is um, a lot of people that have joined now have become investors, which is great. Yep. And I, do, I give people a lot of free resources. They've got a community of like-minded people. 
it's amazing that we started this about three months ago and we've nearly got 5,000 members already Australia wide. It's just, wow. it just grown so fast. The word just it's the support. Out. It's the support and the, the environment. Yes, exactly. Because finally they can get people around them saying, yes, get another property, do well, you know, get in there and do it. It's great. This That's is real. Exactly. <laughs> you know, nothing wrong with being successful. It's actually good because you can't do a lot of good people if you're not successful. See, the way I see it is, you know, if you get more money, because money alone doesn't really help people because if you've got money and haven't got time, it's a waste of time. Because when I was um, working long hours, I had money, but I didn't have time. So, but when you, get, when you get more money and more time, that's how you create more meaning in your life. And I think that's the important part. And a lot of people think, a lot of people get it wrong. They think more money equals less meaning, but nothing could be further from the truth. So True. I was, so what happened was I was working 80 hours a week and working long hours. And then I suddenly had enough and I quit. And then I had the 180,000 coming in. And one of the first things I did is I paid off my parents' home because they'd been struggling for 25 years paying off the house. And I had enough money just paid off just like that, which is great. And then I took my parents overseas for a holiday, spent some good time with them. And unfortunately, my mum passed away a few years ago. And the time that I had with her overseas and back in the home country where she couldn't have gone on her own and, you know, we spent quality time together. You can't, you can't replace that. And if I was working those 80 hour weeks, I wouldn't have that meaning. I would have only had that superficial contact with her that I, I had in the past. So I think um, mm. money and time gives more meaning and it gave me a chance to raise money for charity and do a lot of cool stuff and, you know, I did a documentary for Channel 9 and raised 225000 charity for kids wow. and children with special needs. And we got to hang out with um, some rock stars and sports people as well. We had um, the lead singer of Screaming Jets at a little, you know, on Kangaroo Island playing for us and guitar um, with just five of us there. It was amazing. And you don't get that if, unless you create more meaning in your life with more money and time. And that's why getting out of comfort zone is so worthwhile. Damn. And, and having those, those, those reasons that are bigger than just yourself and wanting to pay bills, those, those selfless reasons can, can give you that extra nudge to go out your comfort zone because you're, you've expanded your goals. Like you said, that's super, super important. We had some goals here uh, with our, with our business that we, uh, that for, for different charity work and, and that we're doing for the earthquake victims and stuff. And like that stuff motivates you to push yourself further because you're, you know, you're motive. For example, on a very practical level, for example, my father smoked, was smoking ever since he was a teenager for goddamn fucking 40, 50 years. And, and the motivation to stop, like, I mean, stopping smoking after you smoking for 50 years, talk about getting out of your comfort zone, wow. man. And it's an addiction, right? So and a lot of people deal with this, but how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, the thing is he couldn't do it because if he just said, I wanted to do it because I wanted to be healthy or this or that, it wasn't a selfish reason. He had to have a reason that was for uh, more than him. And that reason was that he wanted to see my sister's son, his nephew grow up. Wow. What a great reason. Fantastic. And that's why, that's why he quit. And so in a, in the same way, when you're, you, when you want it, when you want to get out of your comfort zone in in, in investing property, for example, um, try to think of reasons that go beyond you, and you'll find that you're able to push past your comfort zone more than just a selfish or selfish goal. 
That's fantastic. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your kids. Do it for your parents. Do it for your community. Um, do it for all those other great reasons. Because I, I really believe, like, I mean, 90% of people, wealthy um, millionaires in the world, became so, so through property. So I really think that the family, True. the holiday you want, the lifestyle you want, the health you want, all of that, one good property can make a massive difference to people's lives. It's huge. Dude, there's a, there's a, there's a saying, can't remember where the hell I heard this, but it was like, if you work for yourself, you'll make, uh, you'll make 30 grand a year. If you work for your neighborhood, you'll make 60. If you work for your city, you'll make, you know, a couple hundred grand a year. If you work for your, for your state, you'll make, you know, a million dollars a year. If you work for your country, you'll make a billion or something. There's, there's, there's a totally lesson. You want to make a billion dollars, help a billion people. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Elon Musk. He's been in the news a lot lately. That's right. Love that guy. Oh, he's awesome. But he, he's got a bit of a trigger finger when it comes to tweeting, a bit like Donald Trump. Doesn't he? Yeah, I, want, I wonder if it's, if, it's the, if it's the Ambien. You should go to sleep as soon as you take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like some of the stuff that he's come up with is crazy. <laughs> uh, um, I think um, one of his companies, he's not allowed to be on, on the board anymore, is he? No, he, he had to step down as chairman of the board. Yep, yep. So I don't know what that means. I mean, I'm not an idiot, but I don't quite exactly know what that means as far as, is he still the primary shareholder? You know, because I don't know how that works, the voting powers. I, I, I love Elon Musk. I think he's great. But a lot of his tweets make the price of his shares go up and down. And as a shareholder, you'd be hoping like, please, Elon, do something really cool tonight, not bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I so, mean, if you're really good at trading stocks, all you gotta do is wait for Elon Musk to do a shit tweet. It bounces down, you buy, prop, you buy the stock, because it'll bounce back up anyway. It doesn't really matter. Right, it's not, yeah, exactly. It's, so, it's not going down to zero. So, part of the reason they made him step down is they said that he was making the company too volatile for the shareholders, but really- Right, he's manipulating the market, so to speak. He was bouncing up and down anyway. Big deal. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was doing. Maybe he needed an extra ten million or some, or one of his friends did. So he's like, "Hey, dude, watch this." Buy <laughs> Look, you know what? Who knows? Maybe that's what he's doing. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna do a tweet. I'm gonna call this cave diver a pedo, and then <laughs> that's and then just I'll, down, I'll buy some more stock and let it bounce up again." He's not stupid. I have no idea what his. He, he's maybe he's eight eight levels. Maybe he's playing chess with all of us. We have no clue. But to that one, that, that one made no sense to me. What the hell are you picking on this guy for? Totally. But you're right about one thing. He's not stupid. He's very smart. Yeah. And he's probably thinking of the next level. And I was thinking about just before when you were talking about do it for someone else and, you know, giving people meaning in their life and helping. A bit like Maslow's needs. When you fill those needs, the bottom needs, you actually get a chance to give more. I mean... You know, Tony Robbins, he says, you know, the first biggest need is consistency. And then the second biggest need is inconsistency. And as you go up the hierarchy, you've got a need to contribute. That's what happens. And it happens. Right. And it's amazing because it happened to me because once I retired, I didn't have a lot of meaning. Then I had this urge to contribute more. And it just happens. And before it happened, I didn't realize that I'd get that urge. It's funny how as you go up the ladder, it's just a natural progression. It's amazing. 
And that's why as a general, as a general rule, people who are poor, as a general rule, don't contribute much. They don't start charities much. They don't generally do that type of stuff because of Maslow's hierarchy. They're yes. trying to figure out how to, how to live. That's right. They, they, one, they're not high enough in the hierarchy to really have that value and goal. But two, they don't have the capacity when it comes to time and money. Yes. And one tiny thing can like blow their whole life out. Like one, you know, I remember when I was broke, man, and I had like a shitty car and stuff like that. Like if I had, if there was a $400 problem with my car, like my life was ruined. (laughs) I've been there. When I was a real estate agent back when I was in my early twenties, you know, my car would break down on the way to an appointment and I'd be going, Oh my God, I got to pay a cab and the cab's got to cost me a fortune. And it was (laughs) little things were such a big challenge where now, Look, the, the funny thing is, and this is what people don't realize, it doesn't matter how successful you become, you're always going to have challenges and problems. They never disappear at all. It's just impossible. Even yeah. if you're Musk or Donald Trump or the most richest person in the world, you're going to have problems. And the thing is, though, your problems get better each time, each level. Because the problems I have now are very different and much more fun than the problems that I used to have. Right. Right. And right. it's great. I mean, you know, my, my, my recent challenge, I had to fly to Sydney to have an interview with Channel 9 and, you know, I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning. Well, that's better than getting up at 5.30 in the morning to go to work in a factory. You know, it's a great problem to have. That's the contrast. Exactly. That's because yeah, exactly. you still don't want to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I don't fucking want to get up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm even more of a diva now but wanting to get up at 5.30 in the morning because I don't have to. Yes, but exactly. then you, again, you contrast, you say it could be worse. I could be doing X. So. Yeah, and I, I use contrast a lot because I actually, no matter what challenge you've got, it's a blessing in disguise anyway. Because mm. you've got a choice. You can learn from the challenge you've got at the time, you know, and get better at things. So I think, I think every challenge we've got, because I really think life is about only one thing, really. The meaning of life is about slowly getting more interesting and fun problems to solve. That's what we're here for. We solve problems. That's what we do. Um, mm. we're, we're, we're omnivores. We've been conditioned. We've evolved to solve problems. That's where we get our pleasure from. So when you solve a problem, it's actually quite pleasurable. So, you, But the problem you've got, you want a problem that's slightly out of your comfort zone. And then you just keep reaching more. And in life, as you, could, as you solve problems, you get more enjoyment out of it. Because if you're not solving problems, it's boring. I remember when I retired, there was no problems at all and it was boring. And now I get to solve problems and it's fun again. How do we find out more about you? Ooh, okay. Um, the, best, the best way to find out more about me is to go search on Facebook for Mitch Miller uh, or Father Freedom and find my personal profile. That's where most of everything I do happens. I am starting a YouTube show soon called uh, Privileged and Morally Bankrupt. It's going to be a, uh, really, it's gonna be a fun, fun show. You watch are out you, for that. I mean, are you going to write white, white privilege or just privileged? Well, that, that can be a part of it. Um, and, and the whole point of the play on words is that we're all privileged or non-privileged in our own ways. And so it's, it's basically me attacking the left ideas and stuff like that. It's not going to be an overly political show. It will mostly be about entrepreneurship and finding freedom and, and just basically all the wacky thinking that's going on in, in our world. Look, I believe that everyone in this whole world right now is privileged compared to anyone 100 years ago. You got it. Contrast. You know, I mean, uh, an African in Eastern in Africa now has got more communication capabilities than the President of the United States 50 years ago. Like, 
You got Amazing. it. Think about it. We're all privileged, which is great. Okay, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. We'll have to have another talk about you coming to Australia. Enjoy your day. Talk soon. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for all our listeners around the world. If you found this podcast valuable, please share with someone that might find this useful. And please join our tribe of purpose-driven investors, increasing income and impact in our Facebook group, Positive Property. Please note... We have a multi-million dollar property portfolio and a passive income. I've become incredibly successful at investing in property. The fact of it is, however, many people may find investing in property challenging. It's not easy. It takes a lot of hard work. However, becoming educated to make an informed decision and having the right advisors gives you the tools you need to succeed. The most important part of this formula, however, is to actually take action and apply that knowledge. It is important to understand the information I share is of a general nature only and is not taking into account your unique circumstances. If you're considering investing in any asset class, you need to seek the advice of an independent professional advisor who will be able to look at your specific situation. Be sure your advisor has actually achieved the kind of results you're seeking. Many won't have, so beware. We've taken great care putting those educational resources together. We'd be surprised if you didn't find any errors or omissions. If you do, our legal team says we have to say we're not responsible for those. In fact, as with all things, even your success, we're not responsible. That responsibility always has and always will come down to you and the actions you take. We're passionate about supporting you in that process and helping you increase your ability to create wealth, live the life you desire, provide all the things you dream of for you and your family.